Welcome to this week's edition of the Insights Podcast on the Huddle Network. I'm David Campbell. And I'm Don Mills. Don, we had a great discussion today with the Public Policy Forum's Ed Greenspawn and former PEI Premier Wade McLaughlin about the new Atlantic Canada Momentum Index. And I think that uh, the listeners will, will find the discussion very interesting and will also find that index very interesting because it's showing a lot of positive momentum in Atlantic Canada these days. Yes, and I, you know, many people might not have heard of the Public Policy Forum. It's a think tank, a nonpartisan think tank that was created in 1987, I think is the year. Uh, it has, uh, you know, a cross section of people interested in public policy involved. They have uh, more than 200 members, uh, mainly organizational members, who fund it uh, and provide the independence of uh, thinking. And <clears throat> I think this uh, this contribution uh, uh, that they've made in terms of creating the Momentum Index is really uh, helpful to Atlantic Canada because now we have a report card <clears throat> to measure us on some key measures against the rest of the country when it comes to economic performance. And, you know, I think it will surprise people uh, to find out that we've actually made a fairly um, significant amount of progress on some key issues and we are narrowing the gap with the rest of the country. And it's a particularly important, and you know, you know, this is a topic that, you, you know, that I'm, I'm interested in is, you know, the have not status that we continue to bear in this region, in some cases, unjustifiably in my view. And, and this might help to uh, educate people to the fact that something really positive is actually happening in this region. So I commend the uh, Public Policy uh, Forum for uh, coming up with this idea. I think it's very helpful. Yeah, the physical report is actually entitled provocatively, Have Not No More, uh, which is kind of interesting. I think we've got a little bit more work to do before we can fully shed that label. But certainly, I think it's this shows a, a lot of positive momentum. There's two audiences. One is the local audience to just confirm with Atlantic Canadians that this is actually a pretty good place to live, a pretty good place to do a, to build a business and grow your career. But also to tell the rest of Canada that uh, we're not just the poor cousin down here, that there's lots of positive things happening. And normally in the national media, you know, it can be pretty negative about this region. And so this kind of report from a national think tank, which was covered in the Globe and Mail, which was covered in some of the national media, does tell a very positive story and helps to reinforce what you and I have seen that there, you know, as much as we've got work we have to do, uh, there is a lot of positive momentum that we can build on uh, for the future. Well, I, I think it's really uh, uh, important that the public policy forum has recognized that something is happening here. We recognize it on the ground. We see it, and you know, our podcasts are telling those stories. But to have a national organization recognize it and and decide that it's important enough to create an index to track our progress, I think, is really positive. And you know, this is part of a long term sort of uh, challenge that we have to change the perspective of, of what people have of our region. It's not just a great place to visit on holidays. It's a great place to live and to work. And we're finding out that people have uh, are starting to recognize that. You know, the Atlantic bubble, as they both uh, recognized uh, in, in conversation, was helpful in terms of providing a, a higher profile of, uh, uh, of this region during the pandemic. But it started well before the pandemic. It's the, the pandemic actually helped and reinforced the uh, maybe some changes in opinions, but it had started earlier. Yeah, absolutely. I think government, so Wade's government on PEI was a key champion of growth. I think we started to realize that we can't, we couldn't sustain a long period of economic stagnation and population decline. I think the private sector and the public sector figured that out somewhere around 2015, 2016, uh, and we've seen pretty positive momentum since then. So I think it's a, it's going to be a, a, an hour well spent uh, for the listener to get a sense of what those positive indicators are and some of the negative ones. We talked about some of the challenges as well. So without any further ado, here's our conversation with Ed Greenspawn uh, and Wade McLaughlin. Welcome to the Insights Podcast, Ed, and welcome back, Wade. You have the distinction of being the first repeat guest on our podcast. Well, great to be with you guys, uh, even as a non-repeat. I hope I hope I'll be it'll be interesting enough so that I'm your second repeat. <laughs> it's it's a rare category. You have to elevate to a higher level to be on more than once on this podcast. 
So, Ed, before we start talking about the Atlantic Canada Momentum Index, could you give us a little background on the Public Policy Forum? When was it started? What's the mandate? Where is it located, governed and funded, and how many staff you have? Yeah, so um, uh, the Public Policy Forum is um, not your average think tank. We kind of like to think of it a little bit more as an applied policy shop. We're working with um, various groups, whether it's business groups or governments or unions or uh, indigenous groups, uh, universities and colleges, working with all of those sorts of people, um, those groupings all being members of Public Policy Forum. Um, Since 1987, to try to uh, figure out ways through policy dilemmas, if uh, if you will, policy blockages, uh, um, really look at uh, toward the future, the kinds of changes that are going on in the world, technological changes, climate change, geopolitical change, cultural changes, et cetera, and, uh, and figure out um, what policy needs to be responsive and to you know, move the country forward. Um, we're a national think tank, we're based in Ottawa, we're about 30 people, and um, uh, we're based in Ottawa, but we, you know, as I say, we're national. And as you may know, I was once uh, the editor-in-chief of a national newspaper, and I take the idea of national very seriously. You know, it, it's a country. I've lived in different regions of the country myself, uh, and it's a country uh, that's uh, disparate. It has different economies. It has different practices. It has a lot of things that unite it as well. But it has uh, distinctive uh, forces at play, and uh, PPF cares about uh, cares about it all, and wants it all to be, you know, working and uh, and successful. How do you uh, how how are you funded? How's the organization funded? Is it project by project, or do you have base funding? Well, we have membership, so we have about two hundred twenty members, and funding comes from uh, uh, from those members in all the categories I spoke about, and then we do uh, fund project by project as well uh, on top of uh, on top of that base, and we throw an annual um, dinner. We throw several annual dinners across uh, across the country. Uh, one coming up in Toronto on April twenty seventh, where we'll be talking about what we're talking about today, and that's uh, you know fundraising dinner where we celebrate some of the best in. Uh, in uh, in public policy and public policy practitioners, so we you know normally uh, recognize four or five um, uh, people a year. So uh, a, a variety of funding sources. So what do you what are the big things you're focused on these days at the PPF? Well, I, I guess you know you could almost put them in two buckets. Perhaps one would be uh, a growth and competitiveness uh, type bucket, uh, and probably um, to use a term that's become uh, more popular over the last uh, decade or so, an inclusive growth, because it's important just that people are participating in the economy, that there's high labor force uh, uh, participation, that other forms of uh, uh, that people believe of belonging. Uh, uh, to a uh, dynamic economy, which brings me to the second bucket, I suppose, which is a uh, a healthy democracy, a, a well-functioning democracy. And those are probably, you know, join the bridge between them in some way is the labor market. You know, people have to feel a sense of, uh, of inclusion, that they're not excluded, they're not being marginalized, they're not penalized. Uh, uh, too many people do feel that way, as we see in, you know, all democracies. Uh, Ed, uh, this is not the first report that the Public Policy Forum has done related to Atlantic Canada. Can you tell us about the work of the forum uh, in relation to Atlantic Canada and about the Atlantic Initiative? Yeah, thanks for that. Um, So, so, uh, you know, so so I guess I have to go back a little bit, uh, a, a few years when we were interested in uh, in some of the programs that were being worked out uh, among premiers and the federal government and, and, and businesses and other players in the region um, uh, to, you know, to concentrate on the uh, economy of the region. We're particularly interested in the Atlantic uh, immigration pilot and how that uh, and how that might be working and, and what we might be able to contribute to it as an organization. And one of the things we noted at that point was that um, immigration retention uh, was about kind of 50-50 after five years, uh, whereas in other regions it was much higher. And we were kind of interested, okay, well, what's the difference between the 50% who stay and the 50% who go? Uh, and that was, you know, a basic question that, uh, that you know, we asked at, uh, at that point and try to answer it, some of it, you know, frankly, anecdotally uh, as well by, you know, talking to people who had stayed and go and try, uh, stayed and, <laughs> and, and left and, uh, um and trying to figure out what that reason was. And, and 
spending time in the region, and I've personally spent time uh, there since uh, the mid-1980s after I was in graduate school and fell in with a bunch of uh, Cape Bretoners and others uh, uh, from the region. And so I've been you know, spending time there regularly for uh, for 35 years or so. And in the last number of years, you can sort of see a dynamism. You can see real estate prices, uh, uh, which I realize is a negative, you know, for, for many people who have affordability issues. But nonetheless, it's a sign of some kind of economic uh, dynamism that there's demand uh, in the region. Uh, you see, you know, uh, a region that's been a high unemployment region moving into a labor shortage region, which is, you know, profound, profound uh, shift. And then, you know, I was sitting here in Ontario, and as I say, I have a bunch of buddies um, uh, in uh, uh, throughout the region, actually, but particularly in Nova Scotia. And we would do sort of uh, Zoom calls. There'd be like 10 or 12 of us who were friends in graduate school. And the ones who were uh, in other parts of the country, well, we were all just a single person on a, on a Zoom call or a Teams call, whereas the ones who were in Nova Scotia were all like, you know, having dinner together. And it made me think a lot about the Atlantic bubble. And I know that, you know, there's some contention around how successful it was or not, but strike, I, I can tell you that looking at it from an Ontario perspective, it was really successful. Uh, you know, people were able to, uh, uh, you know, to be with each other. And it, to me, reflected a kind of social cohesion in the region. It reflected uh, uh, a sense of... Um, of you know caring for your neighbor, which is I think a big economic attribute and social attribute in terms of the two things that I uh, that I spoke about before, and 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 then we're watching these you know big exits from the tech sector as well, particularly Verifin and Newfoundland, uh, uh, you know a huge huge uh, um, company that sold to Nasdaq for like a billion bucks, and you know who in Central Canada ever heard about it? So so you know we started asking the question. Um, is this Atlantic bubble going to be an Atlantic boom when we get past this uh, uh, pandemic? And, you know, what's going on? And that led us to the question, well, we feel we're seeing some momentum here, also population growth, of course, uh, the return of population growth. We feel we're seeing some momentum. Let's go ahead and measure it. And that's what got us to where we are right now with the momentum index. If you could tell us, you know, what led to the development of uh, the Atlantic uh, Canada Momentum Index? I mean, you've, you've referenced it in your previous uh, remarks, but, uh, you know, what what was important about creating an index? Well, Wade will pick this up, uh, I think, very well. But we, you know, we felt, okay, there's three steps that we think we want to look at. And step one is, is there momentum? And if there is momentum, where is it? And where is it not? Secondly, if you see that momentum, well, that's good, but you haven't arrived at your destination. You're just in motion. So what do people in the region, you know, not me, but, you know, our advisors, people who, who you know, who, who live there full time, what do they want to see in terms of um, the uh, indicators that we should concentrate on and set goals for? Uh, for the end of the decade, for 2030. And then thirdly, what policies do we need to put in place to help uh, uh, achieve those goals? Now, of course, not everything's done by policy. A lot's done by entrepreneurship. A lot's done by, uh, by you know, uh, the quality of, uh, of your workforce. There's, you know, many other factors that go into it, the kind of social cohesion I was referring to a minute ago. So we got together a group of people, uh, an advisory group of which Wade uh, uh, was kind enough to join and be part of. And and we said, okay, what? let's start by what the indicator should be. What do we want to measure? And then we'll move on to step two and three. And perhaps Wade could pick it up there. Sure. And uh, you've set it up really well, Ed. Um, uh, one of the reasons I saw the benefit in um, focusing in on uh, uh, select uh, select uh, in, uh, indicators is even though there are some um, in public, uh, there's some public evidence that things are going uh, different today in Atlantic Canada than they have. Ed mentions real estate prices, for example. Um, we still have a, a dominant narrative of uh, out migration and uh, 
however well things are going here, they're going better somewhere else. Um, and um, by zeroing in on uh, the 20 indicators uh, that this work uh, has studied um, and putting them in buckets that give you uh, a well-rounded picture, um, I'm hoping that uh, this will um, change our own narrative as well as, um, as Ed has indicated in his introductory note, um, change the uh, narrative about the position of Atlantic provinces in Confederation. As you mentioned, there are 20 key social and economic indicators that are covered by the index. I'd like you, each of you to kind of pick out a few highlights from what, uh, what the index is showing currently. Let me pick two, uh, Don. There are, there are many, uh, there are 18 others. Um, the headline indicator is the uh, nominal uh, gross domestic product per capita. Uh, and over a period of 60 years, starting in 1961, uh, the Atlantic provinces have gone from uh, a, a per capita GDP that was 59% of the Canadian average in 1961 to uh, 87% uh, of the Canadian average in 2021. Uh, and that's a remarkable path uh, of development. Uh, it doesn't happen all at once, uh, uh, but it does. Uh, we it, this report also shows that in the period uh, 2015 to 2021, uh, as the uh, Canadian uh, pattern uh, decelerated uh, in Atlantic Canada, uh, there was an acceleration. Uh, there are other supporting uh, measures uh, in the the economic uh, bucket, but that, that really is the headline. Uh, the, the other indicator uh, that uh, reminds us um, um, how dynamic uh, the, and not just an economy, but a, but a whole polity, uh, a population can be, is uh, median age. Uh, and to demonstrate that, uh, in 1989, Newfoundland and Labrador uh, had the youngest, the lowest median age of any province uh, in the country. And by 2009, it had the highest. Uh, very simple explanation, out-migration. Um, and uh, in the case of Atlantic Canada, uh, over the period that we are measuring in this work, um, you can see that the, the median age, um, in the case of Prince Edward Island, started to drop in 2016 and has dropped in each subsequent year now, a total of seven years. Uh, Nova Scotia and New Brunswick, the median age is now dropping. Newfoundland and Labrador, it has stopped uh, rising, which is really important when you get up around the, the range of 47. Um, but that tell, that's about more than uh, demographics. Uh, it's about the uh, cost of public services. It's about uh, enterprise and innovation. Uh, and, and ultimately, uh, 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 who's complaining about getting younger? Ed, how about you? What are uh, a few highlights for you? Well, I'll give you some highlights and some, you know, some lowlights, perhaps. You know, I, I think the highlight is the first indicator, uh, and it's the per capita part of, uh, of Wade's reference to GDP per capita. Um, you know, the population of, of uh, Atlantic Canada relative to the rest of Canada has been falling decade after decade after decade. And, uh, and I think the share has gone from something like about 10% in, in 1961 census to about, you know, a little over 6% in, uh, in, in more recent uh, times. Now, you know, that's a syndrome that I think has, um, has been, you know, very hurtful uh, uh, to the region. Uh, both in terms of its level of confidence, in terms of its level of happiness, and and in terms of its uh, its dynamism, you know, people going down the road, as uh, as I think a uh, uh, a film of the nineteen seventies uh, uh, was uh, was titled. Now we have a situation where um, the population is beginning to show some green shoots of uh, of uh, of growth, and. And I think that's a real vote of confidence. 
Uh, some of it may have been a factor of, of um, you know, mo most recently of the pandemic and, and, and people coming home, but, but it's not all of that. Some people say it's, you know, inexpensive real estate and people moving to Atlantic Canada. Well, if that's true. That's great. If that's a competitive advantage, um, you know, go for it. But a lot of it is immigration from outside the country. And as I say, you know, PPF, when we um, you know, started doing some work in around 2017, it was really around the question of, uh, of attracting and particularly retaining uh, immigrants. And there's been great progress made by, uh, by all the governments. In fact, the momentum we see the momentum beginning to shift around mid-decade of the last decade. So um, it's been building ahead of steam for, you know, five, six, seven, uh, seven years now, and perhaps it's only beginning to come into focus because it takes a long time until, you know, people feel a, uh, a great super freighter, you know, beginning to, uh, beginning to move in the, uh, in the water. And, and that's happening now. So population growth would be one thing. Um, people don't just live in an economy, though. Uh, they live in a society. And I think uh, another positive is, you know, the sense of we try to measure quality of life as well and the sense of, you know, belonging, the sense of happiness uh, that people have. And and I think those are really important factors. I spoke a bit earlier about, about social cohesion. Uh, you know, one of the ways that manifests itself is that uh, a high vaccination rate during the pa uh, pandemic relative to other places, a low infection rate despite or maybe because of, uh, of, uh, of, of the bubble. And, and I think, you know, that's a positive indicator because uh, at the end of the day, people, you know, a standard of living isn't worth much if it doesn't uh, bring you to quality of, uh, quality of life. On the negative side, there's, you know, work to be done as there is everywhere in the country, just to pick one example out of there and uh, access to uh, uh, primary medical care. And, uh, you know, if people don't think that they're going to have access to um, to the health system or their children aren't, or if they think, you know, that their children aren't going to have access to high quality education, those are inhibitors to invest in the region or invest of yourself in moving, uh, moving to the region. You know, fortunately, the momentum that we see in this, uh, in this index far, far outweighs uh, um, uh, anything that's stuck uh, or that's, uh, or that's negative. And in fact, you know, one of the things that, I think should be very encouraging to everybody is that the positive momentum of Atlantic Canada and the indicators we have outweighs that of Canada as a whole. So gaps are being closed. There's a, a lot of work to be done, which is why we want to have a, a target out there and figure the policies that need to get that target. But the gaps are being closed and, uh, and that's, you know, that's historical. Yeah, I'm really, really glad the region is, as a whole is getting younger because I know I feel like I'm getting older. I'd like to be getting younger, but I'm, I'm getting older. So it's really good that the region is getting younger as a whole. And I know Don would uh, share that as well. Um, Ed, I wanted to ask you what the purpose of having 17 former Atlantic Canada premiers and deputy premiers sign on to the report. I thought that was curious. And I wondered the point of that. Uh, maybe you could explain to us why you thought it was valuable to have these luminaries sign on to the report? Well, because um, first of all, the success that we're seeing starts with them, uh, uh, starts with uh, um, many of their uh, of their tenures and they laid the foundation, uh, uh, people like Wade and, and Stephen McNeil and others laid the foundation for what we're, uh, what we're seeing today. But I think more to the point, um, uh, you know, if a tree falls in a forest and uh, a report is nothing but uh, a tree turned into paper with uh, typing on it, uh, if a tree falls in a forest and nobody hears it, you know, what's the point? And, uh, and you know, the public policy forum, although as part of our Atlantic initiative, we've uh, uh, begun to hire in the region our first employees uh, uh, who are outside of central Canada, um, we're not of the region. And we felt it was important to say, okay, former premiers and deputy premiers, is this significant? And if it's significant, will you allow your name to, uh, to stand with us and put your, uh, your uh, prestige uh, behind it? And that's what we're looking for. We're looking for it to also have a sense of belonging. So what has been the response among current premiers and political leaders? In my experience, a lot of them don't like to be poked and prodded. Uh, former Premier Bernard Lord used to have a report card 
on the state of the economy. But when the numbers started turning bad, they sort of reduced the number of indicators and they only started cherry picking their good ones, which is not exactly a report card. Uh, so what, what has been the response among uh, current premiers and political leaders in the region to, to the uh, index? Uh, well, you know, I, 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 I won't go province by province, and I'd be interested if Wade uh, had uh, had conversations uh, uh, that I haven't. Um, I don't think we've um, uh, brought it out uh, a lot to, you know, to the current stakeholders. We sent it to them. Uh, we've sent it to the Secretaries of Cabinet, which is the main contact point for the public policy forum, you know, with the public service uh, rather than the political side. And uh, but we've sent it to the premier's offices and uh, and century others. And, you know, we've heard uh, back, uh, you know, some, uh, you know, uh, some happiness that it's encouraging. And uh, but we have a lot of work to do. You know, uh, uh, one of the things I've learned to learned in the think tank game is that the day that you publish something is not the end of the process. It's the beginning of phase two of, uh, of you know, mobilizing that knowledge. And, uh, and that's our intention. We'll be later in April having uh, an Atlantic dinner uh, around our uh, growth summit and testimonial dinner in Toronto. And then on June 13th, we'll be in Fredericton uh, for our annual Frank McKenna Awards, uh, policy awards, and we'll be doing some public events there too. And and you know trying to visit uh, the various political leaders. So I wouldn't say that we're fully engaged uh, on this yet. I think you know it's uh, uh, the opening salvos have uh, have been very positive, and I think have you know got attention. Uh, but you're right. You know, uh, it's easy for I don't want to say it's easy for the 17 premiers to sign on, but but they don't have to. Uh, uh, they've gotten it this far. If if you think of it as uh, as you know passing the baton. And they passed the baton a while ago, and uh, the people with the baton, uh, it's always more sensitive for them and more difficult. Wade, we've had you on the Insights podcast previously to talk about the progress uh, Prince Island, uh, Edward Island has made in recent years. And, of course, we've used uh, the island as, an, as a bit of a model for the rest of the region. Uh, in that podcast, you also uh, uh, talked about your important role in bringing the Atlantic uh, Immigration Pilot uh, Program um, alive, I guess. Uh, of the 20 indicators tracked, uh, and, and again, you're using um, the, for the Momentum Index uh, the years between 2015 and 2022, PEI <clears throat> improved on 17 and only deteriorated on three. This is one of the best performances among the 10 provinces in Canada. It really highlights, you know, uh, something uh, important going on in the island. Can you tell our listeners uh, what has gone right on the island in recent years and maybe provide some insight on how other Atlantic provinces can learn from your success? Well, I'll, I'll take the, the question that was, the, you know, in the full spirit in which it's asked, Don. I, I, don't, I wouldn't go so far as to give advice to the other provinces except for one, and that is, uh, it's really important that we act uh, together. One of the reasons uh, that Prince Edward Island has uh, done as well as it has is because there have been uh, good uh, Atlantic-wide uh, policies. You mentioned the immigration pilot. There is also the Atlantic growth strategy. There have been policies uh, in economic development that uh, Prince Edward Island, such as the Atlantic Innovation Fund, going back um, where PEI has done well. The, uh, another key point here, uh, and it's at the heart of this report, and it's momentum itself. Uh, momentum is uh, a, you know, a factor of, uh, of success. Um, and uh, when uh, any jurisdiction or any population has it, um, it, would, it, it's really important that you know that and, uh, and take advantage of it. Another thing about Prince Edward Island, and we talked about this when I was on before, is scale. PEI operates, you know, in many ways like a metropolis. Uh, it has uh, it, the indicators for PEI would be largely similar to what you'd see for Halifax or Moncton, um, and that really has to do with how people can move around where there are where there are opportunities. Uh, population growth uh, has been uh, a uh, an important contributor here. Uh, PEI for most of the years we're talking about. 
would have uh, led all of the other provinces year over year uh, in uh, population growth. And finally, um, I'd mention diversity or diversification of uh, the economy uh, from uh, the primary sectors to the uh, the newer knowledge-based uh, economy uh, to um, things as important, uh, and it's true throughout the region, uh, as I'll call it logistics. Uh, it's a really uh, key piece of uh, you know, how PEI has done, and I would say how uh, the region has been able to uh, continue um, uh, doing better uh, over that time. And I guess the the final thing I'd say is a, a lesson for all of us in the region is to never feel like somehow um, this is given to us. Uh, it takes work. It takes entrepreneurial leadership. It takes uh, uh, what I called in our previous broadcast a certain scrappiness. Um, and uh, maybe we can find some way to put that in a, another bucket of uh, indicators of success Ed, if we're doing some further work. We'll sort of keep measuring the scrappiness. Just as a, an aside, you both have sort of referenced the kind of unique nature of Atlantic Canada. Uh, you know, the Atlantic bubble probably highlighted that best uh, of all, I guess. And, and we do have the advantage over other regions of Canada of working together at a different level, I think, uh, because of the nature of the relationships, both personal and business, that we have across this region. But it, it seems to me that there's a bigger opportunity, and, and Wade, you might want to just jump in on this as well uh, as a former premier, you know, to break down some of the economic barriers within the four Atlantic provinces, you know, to remove the, the different trade uh, barriers that we have, make it really a free market. Uh, region, uh, you know, we, we could do that in this region. I think we have the, the opportunity to do that, to make the rules the same in terms of, you know, certification of professions, which is going to happen across the country. And we could be a role model for the rest of the, of the country, don't you think, in, in terms of making it a much more um, transparent and, and, and easier to operate uh, economy? There's a lot of room uh, for gains uh, in, in this area. And the uh, collaboration over uh, decades now of, uh, among the Atlantic premiers um, uh, is really uh, provides a, a structure or an institutional uh, capacity uh, for that kind of collaboration. Uh, uh, up until during the time that we're talking about here, uh, Stephen McNeil uh, was a, a real proponent, uh, and and through uh, his public service showed leadership on that work uh, in the region and in turn uh, nationally, the work that uh, the breakthrough recently uh, on the uh, registration of physicians uh, across the four Atlantic provinces uh, is, uh, it may strike some as a, a bureaucratic uh, step, but it's, it's huge in terms of uh, breaking down uh, silos. And there, there are many, many others uh, that, uh, that, that, that are open to that kind of uh, initiative and collaboration. Uh, but um, I, I think that one of the things that underpins the growth that we've seen during this period is the extent of um, uh, integration uh, at the professional and business level um, across the four provinces. And that, that has enabled a lot of uh, things to happen that don't require governments at all. I want to just get back briefly to um, some of the indicators that, um, you know, uh, are not as good. Uh, Ed, you mentioned, you know, the, the, the family doctors. Uh, uh, and, and obviously, that's not just an issue for Atlantic Canada. That's kind of everywhere, including the, probably the richest province. They, they have a lot of people looking for um, doctors in Alberta as well. So it's not just a question of money, I guess. But uh, you mentioned earlier in your comments that w one of the purposes of the index is to recommend policy changes. And I wonder in reference to that, that and, you, and you can both jump in on this question, what are, what are the policy changes that are needed to address the, 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 um, the weaknesses in the indices that you're seeing? Have you got to that point yet? 
No, I, 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 I'd say we haven't got to that point, but I would, uh, I would venture a guess or two with other work the Public Policy Forum is doing, and you know, throughout the country, including you know, a report that we released about a week ago on 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 primary care and generally on what a uh, what we're referring to as a people centric health system. Uh, and to be people centric, you need to be data centric uh, um, as well. You know, uh, would uh, would look like. So I, I, I think there's, you know, I, I keep thinking, you know, what are advantages that, uh, that various places in, in Canada might have to work with. And um, Atlantic Canada has, you know, some of the things that we've been talking about. It, it's a place I think where people uh, uh, would like to live and, and would enjoy themselves and where the cost of living, you know, if, if they have opportunity, because people want opportunity. And if they have diversity, I, I, you know, I don't know if I've ever mentioned this to Wade, I probably have, but, you know, when my family uh, came to Pier 21 in uh, 1929, which seems a long time ago, but I, and maybe this speaks to how uh, aging I'm getting, um, but I lived with, uh, uh, my grandparents lived upstairs in a duplex from uh, uh, from uh, my mom, my dad, my sister and I when I was growing up. And, uh, you know, they were born in, in Russia. My grandfather fought in the Russian army in the First World War, uh, which wasn't a, you know, a good army to be in <laughs> at all. Uh, I don't think any were in the First World War. And they came to Canada in 1929, and they uh, uh, first went to Prince Edward Island, and he worked on a fox farm. And uh, that didn't last very long, though, because his father died back in Russia, and he had to sit what Jewish people call a shiva, a mourning period. And uh, you need, uh, if you're very religious, and they were very religious, uh, you know, you need 10, you know, there has to be 10 of you sitting together. And there weren't 10 um, Jewish people in all of Prince Edward Island. Um, well, there were actually, if you look at the census from 1931 there, I think there were 13 or 14, but uh, um, uh, they were hard to find. And uh, some of them were children, including my aunts and uncles. So, you know, you need a cultural diversity. You need people to feel at home. You need comfortable, you need comfort. One of the things that um, uh, that jumps out at me as an opportunity is you got a lot of ocean, uh, and that's a great opportunity. There's an ocean cluster, and people are talking about that. Ocean is uh, is uh, kind of windy, and uh, wind is something that seems to be prized in the uh, in the world now. I've uh, had a lot of people say uh, to me, some uh, some friends who are um, from First Nations and various places across the country, they gave us the worst windswept land, but now it's worth something. And uh, and I think you know that's true of the ocean too. People are talking about hydrogen from wind and uh, and adding value uh, to that wind, and in a sense making it exportable. So I think there's a lot of opportunities uh, uh, to build on there. The one thing in the report, which is not unique to Atlantic Canada, but the kind of uh, screamed out at me as a as a failure Canada totally was you know what people call the need uh, uh, number, not in um, employment, education, or training. And, you know, these are kids tend to be, I think, mostly uh, uh, young men who uh, just are not connecting up. Uh, so they aren't getting the opportunities for whatever reason. They are stuck. And I think that's something that, you know, everywhere in the country uh, we want to work on. And maybe that's something where Atlantic Canada, with the kind of um, uh, sense of belonging and identity and caring about your neighbors has, can, you know, uh, lead the country. So, uh, Wade, I have a question for you, and Ed, you can jump in as well. But one of the things that really concerned me in this report, I, I've, I've seen the data, I know the data, but it, when you group it across the region and you show that business expenditures on research and development uh, are, I think, 35% of the national average or 65% below the national average on a per capita, I think it was on a per capita basis, so that's not just a marginal difference. That that is a massive difference, and of course that's businesses. If you look at you know the Dalhousie University, if you look at some of the government research institutes, there's a lot of that going on. But Wade, I wanted to ask you, and you've had some success on the island around biosciences and other sectors, but you know how are we going to have an innovative economy? How are we going to catch up? Uh, to the rest of the country on innovation if our businesses are just not investing. So do you have any thoughts on how we can get this indicator? And, and the index actually shows it's moving in the right direction, but from 33 to 35, you know, you talk about a long way to go to get up to the national average. So do you have any thoughts on 
the the risk of that and what you think uh, how how we can get the private sector investing more in 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 R and D. Uh, several points, Ed, uh, for, or, or David. First, to agree, um, and this is why we selected this as a, an indicator uh, on the long-term importance of uh, business uh, investing in research uh, and development. It really is a, an indicator of future prosperity and uh, productivity. Um, on the uh, point about uh, momentum, um, it uh, this this measure was at 28 percent in 2008 and uh and it's now at 35 so that's the, it's not only going in the right direction but that's uh that's a sizable uh improvement and that's an improvement relative to uh the canadian average um uh um the uh, on on your question uh about how to you know, ramp this up um it's it, it, it's not going to happen uh, if we're kind of wagging our finger at businesses and saying, you know, spend your money on something else. Um, it's got to come from an environment and a collaborative environment uh, where, uh, where there's a return uh, on those dollars or a competitive advantage uh, that's, that's demonstrable. And uh, that's, that's not something that businesses will do by themselves. They have to do it in conjunction with uh, research uh, institutions, uh, they have to do it uh, because there are prompts uh, from, uh, from public policy. Uh, and and that, uh, that, that's in effect how we've been able to create the change and change on the scale or at the pace that we've seen in uh, certain sectors. Uh, in in PEI, it's a collaborative model. It's, a, it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's, it's about leverage. Uh, in a word. Um, uh, the other thing, and uh, I guess I'll uh, go all Donald Savoie uh, here, and uh, you spoke with Donald about this. Um, uh, the, there is a reason, um, and, and, and it's entrenched in uh, national uh, policies and uh, spending and priorities, uh, why uh, Atlantic Canada was only at 28% uh, in 2008, and has now uh, kind of inched its way up to 35 uh, percent, and uh, that is that um, you know there's a, there's a bias toward uh, the larger uh, centers uh, where uh, you've got uh, the sort of concentrations of uh, expertise and uh, you know corporate uh, headquarters and uh, kind of direction uh, and investment uh, as well, and that's not to say. Uh, in identifying that, that uh, we we can accept to be you know at thirty five percent, and why shouldn't we be higher? Um, but in order to be higher, for that to get higher, say by double the thirty five, uh, it's going to take a a concerted effort uh, from the region, uh, you know, to make our case uh, in relation to uh, national. Uh, policies and priorities, and I'll give a very current uh, example, and Ed uh, spoke about the opportunities in uh, renewables and in the energy transition. Um, you know, nationally in Canada today, there's a lot of anxiety about the uh, Inflation Reduction Act, and in particular, the uh, green investments in the United States um, and uh, where that leaves uh, Canada. Uh, uh, and, and in our most recent budgets, um, uh, there are some resources, uh, significant resources uh, and policies uh, uh, aiming to move Canada in that direction. Well, Atlantic Canada uh, is only going to be uh, a full player and a competitive player uh, in, uh, in, in that opportunity. Uh, if we act together and if we have an intention uh, to succeed. And I think that actually is probably the key uh, thing uh, about uh, doing better uh, in terms of our investments in R&D is that uh, we expect ourselves to do that. I'm gonna finish telling a quick story because I think it's so important. That the, the, the conventions around how we measure um, business improvements, uh, especially when it comes to R&D, are, uh, are somewhat narrowly uh, focused on, I might say, the, the research bench. Um, uh, and 
uh, a lot of the improvements that we've seen in Atlantic Canada are uh, people who are out there on the ground or on the water uh, doing things. Um, I have a the lobster season will open here in a couple of weeks and uh, I have a friend who's been fishing for nearly 60 years and he and his family each year they fish 300 traps um, they identify their 10 the 10 percent of their traps that perform the poorest uh, in uh, the in, in the season when it concludes and they get rid of them <laughs> and uh, they build uh, 10 percent each year they add 10 percent uh, new traps uh, now that will never qualify as business investment and in research and development uh, but it's darn well uh, an indication of people who intend and expect uh, to do better year over year and i think that's really what's at the heart of uh, what we need to improve on yeah, in fact, if I just add on that, that's a great uh, that's a great story and a great example. Um, first off, I'd say that this is why um, the next phases are are you know which indicators do do policymakers and policy thinkers like yourselves in the region think really must be the focus moving forward, and then what needs to be done uh to uh you know to to move them forward right so that is the next phase you know definitely once you you know measure you use that to inform your uh your decision making uh i i i'd also say that um i think you know wade's touched on something important there so you know canada as a whole has a research and a business research and development investment problem has for years we're falling down the oecd ranks we were never uh strong at i wrote a research paper on this in my undergraduate years of this canadian problem and as we we're discussing uh uh before that's a while ago uh, that's uh, quite a while ago. So it's been a persistent uh, problem, which Atlantic Canada has a, a much in a much more acute way. Uh, there's structural factors to that problem too. Smaller businesses are less uh, likely to invest than uh, uh, than larger business enterprises. But I'd also say that businesses that are under pressure um, uh, from a lack of labor might try to take off some of that pressure by innovating. It might force them rather than getting cheap labor. Uh, which is an abundance around them, they they have to you know figure out okay how are we going to produce in, uh, in 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 these factors and and I think that might lead to I hope that will lead to more innovation and I hope that the uh, as well that the confidence in your future if you can see reasons to be confident in your future then I think you're more likely to invest in that future and I'm hoping that the momentum index will you know help. Uh, um, you know, open some eyes that there is a good reason to be confident in the future. Uh, could I just mention a couple of things that I think to, to add to this uh, um, conversation? I mean, you know, uh, on the island, uh, Wade, you've got the PEI Bio Alliance. You know, that's an organization that's led to a lot of business investment. Uh, Canada's super uh, ocean super cluster is, is starting to do the same thing all across Atlantic Canada. So we're creating these sector specific focuses, which I think gives the, starts to take away the disadvantage that we have in this region compared to other parts of Canada. Because we really didn't have those successful sectors working the way that they are. And there are others in development as well. So I think that that's gonna contribute to a lot more business investment in R&D. It already has. You can see, the, you know, some of that gap has been narrowed by those sectors, and 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 that they will only get more successful going forward. Ed, uh, I want to ask you about this sense of belonging. You touched on it earlier. It seems to me, however, this has always been a strange one for me. You know, you've got ninety percent of the population in in most maritime Atlantic Canadian communities that are at least third generation Canadian. It seems pretty clear why we have a stronger sense of community. We may not, you know, we may kind of lock, lock horns with some of our neighbors, but we know each other and our parents knew each other and our parents' parents. Whereas if you go to Toronto or you go to some of these other larger urban centers, there's there's a lot more first generation, a lot more uh, um, uh, newcomers to the country, which maybe takes longer. So I wanted to ask you about that and specifically now that we're seeing tens of thousands of newcomers moving into the region, 
a lot of long-time residents are worried that we're going to lose that sort of sense of community and knowing everybody and the, you know, the telephone line that everybody, the party line kind of thing. How do we, have you given any thought or do you have any thoughts for us on how we maintain that sense of belonging to community in an environment where you're attracting thousands and thousands of people to your community or your region on an annual basis? How do you, how do, you do that? Or is that, is that just a, a cost of growth that you're going to lose that sense of Atlantic Canadian community that we saw in the bubble. Well, I, I, I hope that people fight not to lose it, uh, David, and I hope they do so uh, by, you know, reaching out and by, you know, creating that community and extending that community and, you know, welcoming those people and, and bringing them in and not sort of going, they're other, they're different. Um, uh, their English isn't perfect, or their French isn't perfect in uh, in uh, in you know in parts of uh, of uh, of the Maritimes that are uh, that are primarily French speaking. Um, so I th- I think I think actually it's an important challenging moment to get it right where some other places maybe you know created um, vertical communities in uh, in some ways in in large cities where I think people do have a sense of belong but they don't have a sense of belong to the whole they have a sense of belong more to uh, uh, to slices uh, of it and uh, I think you know Atlantic Canada has the uh, um, advantage of, uh, of perhaps learning from other places and what's done well and what hasn't, uh, what hasn't gone well in terms of uh, the integration of, uh, of people coming, uh, coming into a community. Uh, what I see, you know, is encouraging. I mean, you know, what I see is more anecdotal in some ways. It's examples. It's the anecdote of, uh, of bringing people from Ukraine looking for looking on those lists for health workers. Uh, um, aspects, uh, aspects like that. So I think that um, uh, I think it is a great advantage. I think it would be uh, a shame to uh, squander that advantage. I don't think there's anything automatic about that. I think those are uh, those are choices that uh, that occur on a policy level, that occur on an individual level, that occur on a community level. And and if I could pick up on that, uh, I I think it may be a mistake to ask uh, about this as if it is necessarily a trade-off between um, community coherence and uh, uh, diversity. Um, and I can go to all kinds of service clubs uh, here in this province where I, the first sign of their vitality is uh, the, you know, the, the changing makeup uh, of the group and it's been uh, it's been ever thus uh, you, you can s- see the same thing in some of our rural communities uh, where uh, newcomers have uh, not only saved the fish plant but are saving the church um, uh, so th- th- this I think is really something that um, of course we have to put our minds to it uh, but that has always been the nature of uh, building strong communities and uh, encouraging people to to, to do their part and to, to feel proud of uh, their community, whatever its current, uh, you know, challenges or makeup may be. Yeah, yeah, uh, you know, I think this is such an important point. I just want to add one other thought on it, which is that, you know, in every society, there's, um, um, there's organizations, there's parts of it that are that offer uh, an agency of uh, of integration, an agency of you know, greater cohesion, and particularly our schools, you know, play that uh, uh, play that role. And we've all been involved in one way or another, the three of you more so than me in universities. And I think the most moving thing that I see repeatedly in life are graduation ceremonies uh, at universities where first generation, where the first kids in in that generation are are, are, are graduating, the, and the family is gathered around, and it's such an extraordinary, meaningful moment of uh, of of the country working and 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 working for everyone. And I think we've just got to make sure that that we uh that that those institutions are strong uh those institutions that help build uh uh build comfort levels uh uh, with one another i I have to add something quickly um i was uh as you know 12 years president at the university of prince edward island and uh, uh, that was during a period when uh, you know a lot of students still uh, left after graduation and i meet them now in 2021 2022 in 2023, uh, every day, who uh, students who left and who will say to me, 
uh, now that I see how uh, Prince Edward Island uh, is uh, diversifying in a way that it wasn't uh, when I graduated, um, uh, I could come back or I could, I could have stayed around. Mm. Uh, Wade, uh, the introduction to the report states right up front, uh, have not, no more. And this is a, there is compelling data in the index to suggest that the region is moving in the right direction. But, you know, there's one, uh, one metric that's not in the report, and that deals with uh, equalization payments, um, which uh, are very important to this region. You know, the amount of money that the federal government transfers to provincial governments um, um, uh, to ensure that we have reasonably similar access to good quality public services is it's been important to this region, obviously. In the past three years, the average annual growth in equalization payments to the three maritime provinces, at least, increased by 8%. And we have to remind our listeners that Newfoundland does not receive equalization treatment uh, payments. That's something that might surprise people. In 2023 uh, 20, uh, to 24, the federal government will transfer $6 billion to the three provinces through this program. And here's the question. Is it realistic to assume that sustained growth in the region could lead to a reduction in these equalization payments? In fact, would that be a good thing? Well, the equalization formula, as you know, Don, or and David and Ed, uh, is a very complicated beast. I think there are about two dozen people in the country who actually understand it. Um, uh, that said, um, there's one very simple way of understanding uh, the equalization uh, program, and that is that there is uh, there is a cap on the pool of money uh, that's available at 0.8% of the national GDP. Um, so if we're talking about a time when the uh, four Atlantic provinces have been growing at a rate faster than the national economy, uh, then maybe the question is, do we prefer uh, to continue that kind of growth or will we rather slow down to uh, continue getting um, you know, our piece of the equalization pie? Um, so you know, is it, do, do we grow or, or, or do we uh, you know, live our lives to keep getting that share of the pie? Um, it, that that might be as a, a real question, and um, uh, it's uh, it. it I, I think anybody I know who's thinking about this would say, uh, let's let's take the growth and and uh, let's work together uh, as a region uh, to be sure uh, that we are a growing the pie and b um, doing everything we can to begin on. Uh, all the other national programs, uh, and of which uh, of which there are many, and we uh, we could do a lot better than we have uh, over time uh, in that uh, in that regard. But we 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 will only do that when when we work together. Uh, one thing we should not take away from this report is uh, that uh, is is the, the, to to confuse. Uh, momentum with leverage. Um, we uh, our leverage is still uh, measured by uh, our percent of the national population, as Ed mentioned in his opening comments, uh, and in effect um, our our seats uh, in the House of Commons. Um, uh, uh, so, uh, for Atlantic, what, what Atlantic Canada should take from this is uh, momentum is good, um, and we will only. Keep it, and we will only continue growing uh, if we uh, are very intelligent and uh, collaborative about how we find uh, those further opportunities in all of the national programs. Um, Don, I'd say something just for half not. I'll, I'll, I, I think I'll, I'll uh, leave the equalization uh, conversation to the three of the twenty-four experts who were on this uh, on this uh, chat. Um, I'd say something about have not uh, uh, no more. Uh, you do want no more have not. Of course, everybody wants that. But but have not is such a, uh, a negative, insulting, uh, um, demeaning kind of uh, kind of term to uh, to have used. And I think 
one of the things that the Atlantic bubble succeeded in, I sometimes say that the Atlantic bubble was worth $100 million worth of advertising and the rest of Canada about, about Atlantic Canada is, is a place to be. It's not, uh, it's not a place of have-nots. It's a place of, of you know, uh, becoming more and more. And, uh, and, and I, I think that creates just a kind of wonderful opportunity. And people in the region you know, particularly have to uh, seize this opportunity and, uh, you know, make a home, as Wade was saying uh, about uh, about his former students at, uh, at UPI, where where people, you know, can feel the opportunity to stay at home or feel the opportunity to re- return home. You know, there's a lot of um, uh, exogenous changes occurring uh, that we don't fully understand yet, like, uh, you know, in the way that the pandemic accelerated digital uh, uh, connectivity and working from home, and you know what will all that mean? I, I think it, I think it might mean, you know create an opportunity for leveling in a you know in a uh, in a digital economy in an increasingly digital economy. So um, uh, you know I always hated the term you know as somebody who you know who uh, who who lives in a different region of of, of the world you know of of the country. I just thought you know. What an awful term, and and awful that people would think of themselves, have to think of themselves uh, in that way. And uh, and if there's anything I'm happy about about this report, it's to try to break down that mentality within Atlantic Canada and outside Atlantic Canada, particularly. Ed, can I just pick up on that a little bit? Uh, former Prime Minister Jean Chrétien once said that the reason we needed a strong national government was because of Atlantic Canada. In other words, you need this poor cousin, you need this sort of weak and feeble part of the country, and that's why you need a strong and determined federal government. And notwithstanding what Wade said earlier about the fact that we get less than our share of a lot of the growth-oriented federal funding. But how do you think this has this uh, recent growth spurt has been received in the rest of the country? I'm, I'm taking it from your earlier comments that you think it's been positive. Do you think the rest of the country is actually going to look positively on a stronger and more dynamic Atlantic Canada? Or do they like the idea of having a poor cousin to look at and say, hey, there go there go I, except for the grace of God? <laughs> yeah, uh, I think everybody wants uh, a strong country and that strong constituent parts of the country. And um, I think that uh, obviously there's unity problems in the country around the different economies and particularly vis-a-vis the resource uh, uh energy resource sectors, but I don't think anybody wishes those parts of the country ill uh, uh, in any in any way. And I don't think anybody wants a poor cousin. I think they want their cousins to be uh, uh, to be rich. And I think they looked on that that period in the pandemic and they went, that place has its act together much more than I ever understood. Uh, we just have uh, one question for each of you to um, end our conversation. I guess, Ed, for you, what what's next for the Atlantic Canada Momentum Index? Are you planning on releasing an updated index on an annual basis? Yeah, I think we're going to release it regularly. I'm not sure if that's going to be annually or biannually. You know, as, as, as you guys know, these things uh, don't move uh, much year to year. Mm. So I think that the important thing to do next is to figure out how to build out uh, advantage uh, from the knowledge that it uh, that it imparts. As far as the Atlantic Initiative goes, we'll be talking, you know, with our various uh, advisor groups of of where to go next. But we've already um, launched in in one direction. We have. Um, uh, I think I, uh, well, I think I'm allowed to say whatever I want to say. I guess I don't know. Uh, free country, they say. So uh, you know, we've uh, uh, in the discussion that we had in Halifax that Wade was part of last September that that chose the indicators and and where we would go with this. We also had a strong, strong interest in uh, in offshore wind and what that could mean economically. And one of the people who was in that discussion was very excited about this. Was uh, Peter Nicholson. Um, uh, you know, policy mind uh, from Nova Scotia. And uh, so he's working on a, you know, how big is the offshore wind potential and how can that be realized? And that will probably be the next generation of output from the Atlantic Initiative of uh, Public Policy Forum. And Wade, uh, the final question for you, uh, besides championing the development in the region, uh, you know, uh, what are you up to these days? In fact, I heard your name mentioned in a rumor, maybe you want to confirm this or not, 
<laughs> that you might be a candidate for the U.S. consul role uh, in Boston. I didn't even realize it was open, so I'm. I wouldn't. Um, I don't know anything about that. <laughs> the, uh, no, I'm living the good life, Don. Uh, retired, um, happily involved in the several uh, small companies, one of which is profitable, and um, doing some other informal work at a at a regional level. Um, there may be some other opportunities uh, pending, um, and. Uh, Oh, last year I was uh, asked by the Prime Minister to chair the advisory board for the uh, nomination of uh, Supreme Court of Canada uh, Justice. Mm. So, well, there's there's enough to do to to keep one uh, keep one uh, sort of occupied and um, uh, and it's a good life. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Wade and Ed. Thanks so much for joining us this week on the Insights Podcast. Thank you guys so much. It was a great conversation. Yeah, really enjoyed it. Yeah, thanks, guys. You've been listening to the latest episode of the Huddle Insights Podcast. You can follow the show and listen to past episodes on podcast platforms like Apple and Spotify. And if you've enjoyed listening, please recommend the show to a friend. Don and David will be back again next week.